This podcast comes to you from the Plant Biosecurity Research Initiative. For more information on PBRI, visit www.pbri.com.au. Fall armyworm is largely a tropical pest and its arrival in Australia in early 2020 certainly gave entomologists, farmers and agronomists in our northern climes lots to think about. G'day, this is Chris Brown. Being so new to Australia, people are on a steep learning curve to find out all they can about the fall armyworm threat. Your industry has been doing lots of work in this area, including the production of a number of podcasts featuring experts overseas who've been dealing with the pest for years, as well as homegrown professionals who are seeing fall armyworm now on a daily basis. Today we go to Kununurra in the north of Western Australia to have a chat with Helen Spafford, a senior research scientist with the Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development, and Penny Goldsmith, an agronomist with the Ord River District Cooperative, or Ordco, who's elbow deep in fall armyworm on a daily basis. Helen, if I can go to you first, can you give me an idea of the spread of fall armyworm so far in WA? So right now we have well-established populations of fall armyworm in uh, the Ord River Valley uh, up here in Kununurra. There's also established population in the Broome area and Carnarvon further south. We've had a detection of fall armyworm in Geraldton, but no confirmation at this point of an established population in that area. What crops has it been found on? So it's confirmed as being able to complete and sustain its uh, development on uh, maize and sweet corn. We've also seen uh, very high infestations in Rhodes grass. It's also present in sorghum, and we've recently confirmed fall armyworm as being present and feeding on mung bean and rock melons. For those who aren't familiar, Rhodes grass is a, obviously an important grazing pasture, is it? Well, it's grown as a pasture grass, but it's also grown as a hay crop, so it is harvested as well. And you mentioned mung bean and rock melon. How significant has the infestation been on those crops? Well, I will hand off to Penny to answer that question, if that's okay. Sure, Penny. What sort of damage are we seeing there? Uh, so far in the mung beans, we've only found the one grub, and that's been the limit of it, but the crop that we found it in was quite close to harvest which may have affected that. Uh, in the rock melons, they found, the growers actually found the grubs when they were picking the fruit and they were finding them mainly on the skin and they were just making small chew marks in the skin. It was really bad in that one patch of quite mature fruit and they're picking some more that was uh, right next door today actually and they're finding a little bit more but not as many grubs as they were in the initial planting. Okay, so it's obviously uh, spreading from the traditional sorghum, sweet corn and maize. Penny, what sort of damage were you finding in those sweet corn, maize and uh, sorghum as well? Quite bad damage, actually. So initially, there were hot spots of damage where whole plants would be chewed, a lot of leaf damage, and then obviously they target the reproductive parts as they come out in the crop development. As the populations build up over the season and with the weather warming up sort of from August, we're starting to see a lot more significant damage where they're boring into even stems of the maize plants. So whole tops of the plants are falling off. They're chewing out the base of cobs, so the cobs are coming off. And in some of the cobs, I've found two to four grubs and they're chewing 
quite a lot. So it's difficult to say what yield impact will be, but we're trying to assess that as we go. Is that widespread? I mean, is that like in every other plant or is it once every couple of hundred metres? Initially, we were sort of finding it a bit more like hotspots. You wouldn't maybe find grubs in every single metre of crop that you'd check, maybe every second or every third. The later planted crops, it's pretty much nearly every plant. It'll be rare to find somewhere where there's no damage. Is that because populations are increasing, you think? I think so, and it's also probably... There's less green area now, so they're becoming more concentrated. Okay. Penny, are people spraying at the moment up there? Yeah, we've been trying a few different things. So obviously there's a lot of things on permit for fall armyworm. Uh, we've tried some Altacore, Steward, Success and Affirm. We're doing a reasonable job, but we're limited because we've got to apply these with the plane. And obviously the cobs on a corn plant are about halfway down. So it's a lot of crop to get through to get the coverage with a lot of these products. Helen, uh, what thresholds are you using when it comes to spraying? So we're relying primarily on thresholds in maize that have been developed in the United States based on their experience. And we're also uh, relying on thresholds that have been developed for Hilkeburpa here in Australia. We've just considered that it's a very similar pest and so when in consideration of, you know, sort of similar issues with resistance and things like that, we decided early on that in the absence of any real experience with fall armyworm here in WA, that we should look to the US, which has a similar system of production, and also to other pests that we know a lot about already. So Penny, are the numbers reaching those thresholds? Obviously they are. Yes, definitely. We've tended to probably not control or not spray in the vegetative phase, except for these later crops, which are copying a lot more pressure. And then around that tasseling time, when the silks are coming out of the cobs, we obviously need to protect those pretty well. But yeah, definitely the numbers have been up there. Are you finding it a challenge? I mean, you mentioned uh, the difficulty you have because you're aerial spraying. Are you finding other conditions, I suppose, uh, difficult to control them? For instance, I understand that about, around about the three instar, they disappear into the whirl, making it very difficult to actually get to them. Is Are you finding the same sort of thing there? Yes, definitely. The bigger the grub is, the more it likes to hide. So they're well down in the cobs or in the even in the stem of some of the plants I've seen damage where they've just bored into the stem and they've been working their way up or down. So, yeah, they like to hide. A question for both of you. In terms of the identification, is that something that is problematic for uh, growers and agronomists or are they fairly easy to identify at the time when you need to control them? Yeah, that's actually one of the, the main challenges I think that we face early on in the incursion. We were scrambling to try and figure out how to distinguish fall armyworm from some of the other pests that are already well established here. We have, of course, the Helicoburpas as well as other Spidoptera present here in the area and in other areas of the state as well. And they are very, very similar, especially at the younger stages of larval development. And so just trying to figure that out was very frustrating for us and for the growers. We're, we're getting better at it, but there's still a challenge, particularly at those early stages. And that's the critical time when we need to manage. And so knowing what is fall armyworm and what isn't fall armyworm still remains a 
challenge. We're looking at trying to get some other quick and effective and accurate molecular IDs available up here in the area. Tell me more about that, Helen. What are you talking about there? So um, we have expertise down in uh, South Perth to actually use molecular tools to identify different insect species. And so they are working on a couple of different protocols for fall armingworm. One is called a lamp assay and the other is qPCR. And so the lamp assay is potentially a tool that we could use in a regional location like up here in Kununurra or in Broome. The equipment is fairly portable, which means that a grower could bring in a sample and within a very short time have an identification for that sample and have it be confirmed as fall armingworm or not. So there are folks down in Perth who are uh, working at refining those protocols for us. Helen, if both grubs, Helicoverpa and fall armyworm, are doing damage at the same time, I imagine that would be a likely scenario at some point in the year. Why is it important to be able to identify fall armyworm? Well, it becomes important, particularly at the early stages uh, where, where we can't distinguish between them because if we have populations of either pest that are resistant to certain insecticides, making appropriate insecticide choices to manage the pests becomes really important because whatever we use, we don't want to promote resistance in either of the pests in the system. Penny, you mentioned uh, some of the chemistries that are, are used on Helicoverpa. Are you saying that some of the others that, that are available out there haven't been successful in controlling fall armyworm? Yes, we've had some group one chemistry that has done a very poor job in controlling the fall armyworm. And also the other thing to consider with that, not just in the maize crops, but in hay crops, there's very little that's registered for this pest. So group ones and the synthetic pyrethroids are pretty much the only groups registered for grub control in hay. So, yeah, it's quite difficult. So, Penny, where does that leave you? You're left basically with the same chemistries that you are using to control helicoverpa, and I suppose the resultant risk of resistance creeping in. That's right. If we overuse certain groups or certain chemistry, then we've got an increased risk of resistance building up. I think resistance in group 28, so your altacores and things, have been detected in some helicoverpa populations already. Helen, what would be your best advice in terms of minimising the risk of resistance? What we need to really start thinking about is developing area-wide plans for looking at how to manage the suite of pests that we have in the system. So we're not just thinking about helicoverpas or spodopteras or some of the other pests. We're looking at them all in context of each other and the crops that they all share and the crops that maybe they don't share. And so making sure that growers are working together with the system in an area-wide way so that we're not promoting resistance in any of the pests that are present in the system. It must be challenging because your cropping year is so long, given where you are, the pest is going to be there 52 weeks of the year and presumably it's going to be need to be controlled 52 weeks of the year or at critical points in those 52 weeks. We don't know how significant the, the fall armyworm population will be throughout the year. We haven't had a full year with this pest yet. It was detected here in March and the populations have built up. So it is possible that we won't have cropping impacts of fall armyworm over the full year. 
where it will be and what it will feed on remains a bit of a mystery in the period of time over the wet season here where we don't have a lot of crops in the ground, broadacre crops anyway. We have questions whether it will move on to other tree crops in the area or other perennial commodities that are grown here. We just don't know, have the answer to that. Penny, are you seeing any evidence of predator pests becoming active? Yeah, definitely. We've seen some little parasitoids laying eggs and things on the grubs. So we've handed those over to Helen, so hopefully she can ID them. We'll get them ID'd by DBIRD. Um, I've also seen predatory shield bugs active in those crops, but it's not quite enough at this point to, um, to help very much. But yeah, we definitely need to start working more with the beneficials. So Helen, has you, have you got any results in terms of those predator pests, identifying them? What I've done is uh, reared out the insects that have been parasitizing the fall armyworm. And uh, when we've been able to successfully rear them out, I've sent them down to our entomology or insect identification service down in Perth, and they've identified them. We found three different species of parasitoids so far, and two wasps and one fly that are attacking fall armyworm larvae. But we have, we have no idea at this point how widespread that activity is and even where or how we can sort of cultivate them further. Penny, I'm just trying to get a, an idea of the damage, now, given that you've been spraying to control them, to minimise the damage, but what are you seeing? How widespread has the damage been, you know, before you get the sprays onto them? So widespread in terms of the valley, like nearly every maize crop has some sort of damage from the fall armyworm. It tended to be the early crops, I guess, because there was less green area, so they were more attractive early, so they got more pressure. They've had more damage, and then these later crops are having significantly more damage because the population's higher and everything else is starting to dry off as well, so they're a bit more attractive. We've seen everything from whole plants taken out at the base when they're quite young through to significant cob damage to the point where you may not be able to harvest a kernel off that cob. In terms of how that looks across a whole field, I'm not sure yet. We'll have to wait for a few more harvest results as we've only just started harvesting. Helen, is that unusual for a pest to attack the young plants and go right through to when the corn is on the cob? No, I think there are some pests that will, as we've seen in other horticultural crops or even grains crops, there are some pests that will basically attack a, a host plant throughout the full life of, of the plant. What I do think is a little bit interesting with fall armyworm is that it does attack multiple parts of the plant. So it will feed on the foliage, it will feed on the silks, it will feed on the ears. I don't know if it feeds on the roots, but at this point I wouldn't put it past it. You sound like you're a little bit taken aback with its power to consume, Helen. Oh, it's, it's impressive. It really is. And like Penny, I've seen ears of corn with three big fall armyworm larvae in there quite happily munching away and they'll eat each other and they're just very, very competitive. Penny, this may be outside your field of expertise, but what's this mean in terms of products that go out, the standards that have to be met and maintained in terms of food safety and that sort of thing? 
Is that going to be a problem? It's a little bit outside my area, but we don't grow a whole lot of sweet corn. But where you're pulling whole cobs off a plant, definitely you're going to have to be able to find some way to tell if there's a grub in that plant because the last thing you want to do is send that to the supermarket as well. Helen, what is your advice to growers at this point in time when it comes to managing fall armyworm? As you say, it's only been here since March, not a long time, but what's your advice to growers? I, I think basically with fall armyworm in the crops that we grow up here, as well as the crops that are grown throughout Western Australia, that fall armyworm might impact, is the key to success is monitoring, basically. We have to know what's out there and when it's there. And the only way to do that is to actively monitor. I know in some other parts of the world, they monitor some crops weekly, others more than once a week for fall armyworm when they know it's it's in the area. The management windows are often that tight that you just have to be able to respond very quickly. Penny, do you have any observations? I agree with Helen. Definitely need to monitor actively to see what's out there. And also the not just the grubs, but the beneficials as well. And there might be certain times of the year where you can get away with without controlling for the grubs for a longer period of time in the crop. So whether you need to look at planting dates and potentially when the pressure for the grubs will be the highest. The frequency of monitoring or scouting, as they call it elsewhere, is that going to be something new for growers? Are, are they going to need to get out into the paddocks more often than they have been in the past? Oh, no, generally the growers will get someone to monitor their crops weekly. Probably not more than that for maize, but potentially in other crops, um, we do monitor twice weekly. So that's not unusual for the growers in this area. Helen, obviously the department has got a whole state, a very big state to look after, and we're only talking about the instance up in the very far north there. So what role will the department be taking? What actions will the department be taking to monitor its progress south? So DPIRG right now has a set of or a system of pheromone traps for the fall armyworm that's now deployed up here in Kununurra and all the way down to Esperance of the south of the state. And those are being actively monitored and we are trying to keep track of the seasonal spread of fall armyworm. The climate prediction models suggest that fall armyworm will migrate further south and establish for a short time in the south of the state, even though it won't be able to survive there year round at this point. That's what the predictions state. We are still in the early days of the invasion to some extent. We haven't had you know, a full year or even a couple of years with fall armyworm. So we just don't know what the cycles and the patterns are going to be for this pest. We don't know where it's going to survive year round. And so Deeper is actively trying to address that question for Western Australia. Yeah, there's a lot of, so many unanswered questions, isn't there? Pheromone traps are one of the issues I think that is of concern over in the east in that it's picking up lots more than just the fall armyworm. Are you experiencing the same there? We do in our traps get bycatch, which are the, the non-fall armyworm, the non-target Lepidoptera. However, the amount of bycatch has been relatively small particularly when you consider that in some traps we get 500 moths in the trap and probably 99% of them are fall armyworm. So now as fall armyworm is establishing, we're experiencing a lot fewer problems with bycatch. I know in South Africa, Helen, they've done some work on 
developing a much more specific lure for the fall armyworm. Is there any work like that happening in WA? We're not actually developing a new lure here in WA, but we have been testing some of the lures that are available and comparing their efficacy and the amount of bycatch. And we do see a difference in the lures. We would be interested in testing other lures as well, because obviously having a more cost-effective but effective lure would be helpful. And just to finish off, Penny, I suppose when 2020 started, you didn't expect that your year would be taken up with fall armyworm. It must be pretty exciting work for you now. (laughs) (laughs) It's exciting and a little bit gross as well. Why is that? You don't like the grubs? Oh, no, the grubs are all right, but they eat a lot, and so a lot comes out the other end as well. We might leave it there. Thank you so much. (laughs) And, of course, why that's an issue is because the larvae uses its frass to seal itself away from prying eyes and the reach of chemical. Penny Goldsmith is a hard-working agronomist with Ordco, and Helen Spafford is a senior research scientist with Deepert both based in Kananara. My name is Chris Brown. This podcast was brought to you by the Plant Biosecurity Research Initiative, an initiative of the following R&D organisations. Cotton Research and Development Corporation, Forest and Wood Products Australia, Grains Research and Development Corporation, Horticulture Innovation Australia, AgriFutures Australia, Sugar Research Australia, Wine Australia and Plant Health Australia.